After leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, sick with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He went up to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons. But he didn't let the demons speak, because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and throwing out demons. The word of the Lord. Several weeks in a row, Mark's gospel has done this to me, where it's given me this text. It's given you all the space of about 12 minutes to ruminate on this text. And then my job is to stand up here on one leg and tell you about this text and to, to tell you some, some good news this morning. So this week, after last week's dramatic uh, stories in the Mark's Gospel of Exorcisms this week. The healing moves from a, a, a spiritual or a psychic level more towards a physical register in these healing stories of Jesus. And I just want to disclaim at the outset two things that aren't going to happen in today's sermon. The first, there will not be like an eye-rolling preacher joke about mother-in-laws. Um, Noah has put me on sermon dad joke probation. (laughs) Uh, Also, those cheap laughs tend to be like the only thing someone walks away remembering, for better or worse. Like, I hated that, or that was hilarious, and I didn't hear anything else. So we're not going to do that. Um, We're also well above my pay grade. Uh, Not going to crack the code or speculate on why Jesus just doesn't heal all of us all the time. Um, sorry, if that's what you came for, sorry. Just wanted to get that out of the way. In so many ways, though, in these gospel healing stories, the recurring stories of Jesus traveling around a actually pretty small um, place on the globe and healing bodies, what, what these stories do, maybe not what they only do, but some of what they do is they function to remind us that this gospel, this good news of the kingdom that has arrived in Jesus and is still arriving, it's on its way to completion, that this gospel is an embodied gospel. It is a gospel of and for bodies. We're shown in a panoply of specific ways and situations that Jesus is one of us. That's not a reference to like a Super Bowl ad campaign or anything. It's, it's that Jesus is an embodied savior and that means salvation for bodies, like real bodies. But also it means that we have a savior who feels pain, who suffers, who actually dies in a body like ours. So, Uh, specifically today's stories of healing, 
We're reminded that Jesus comes to us as one of us in a body just like ours, and also Jesus comes to us and we find Jesus in our homes, not just in our bodies, but in our homes. These places of intimacy and connection are where Jesus shows up. So Jesus comes to Simon's mother-in-law because he was told about her. Jesus was sought and he was brought to the ones nearest and dearest to his new disciples. Remember, he just found these guys and called them, come follow me. We don't know that much about Simon. We don't know that much about his mother-in-law, but we can kind of piece some things together in here and in what is said and what is not said, that she was probably likely already a widow. Otherwise, she would have been better cared for and more knit in. She was already a vulnerable person. And also a fever that might not like register to us in an age of penicillin as a very serious thing, but fevers are nothing to mess with in Jesus's time. So Jesus's heart and Jesus's attention and Jesus's healing goes out to the vulnerable and especially those suffering in hidden, in silence and solitude. Um, this is just like another shout out to the comfort cushion station. Like, um, it might be a small thing, but these, these small things are, are, are beautiful opportunities to uh, respond and listen and notice. And, and those are the function of, of someone noticing and responding and asking for help and service and um, care. And so um, in a lot of ways, um, Jesus's fledgling disciples model intimacy and immediacy and it creates space and opportunities for Jesus's own intimacy and immediacy and so kind of the the call and the the impetus for us is to notice and if we're also told about someone else's suffering to bring it to Jesus or to uh, if it's if it's as simple as getting some cushions from Aldi to do that Jesus cares and embodied Jesus comes to be a part of that suffering. This is kind of the, the functional uh, working out of cast all your anxieties, all those, those uh, maybe not like clinical anxiety, but all those little cares and things and discomforts and hurts on Jesus because he cares about you and cares for you and does that through other people. That's 1 Peter 5, 7, coming to a coffee mug near you. But think also of some of these other stories in the Gospels. Think about the, the story of the, the man whose friends dug out the roof of the house where Jesus was staying, and they lowered their friend who wouldn't be able to come to see Jesus with his own legs. Their care, their desire for their friend, interrupted what was going on in that room, which was kind of proud, stubborn, cold, theological, religious, elite talk. You know, these people had come far and wide to hear Jesus lecture, and they stuffed the place so tight that no one else could get in there. The membranes were no longer permeable. We've all been to those sorts of debates that are, they, they don't really, like, have intimacy or immediacy. It's just kind of a lot of talk. And so Jesus's friends interrupt that, and they lower him in so that he can encounter Jesus. Jesus delights in that. He loves when we join our hearts to God's heart for suffering. 
when we rejoice with those who rejoice. That's, that's something we're to do and, and slowly, painfully sometimes learn how to do. And sometimes the challenge for us to learn how to rejoice with those who are rejoicing is our pride or our envy. I'm not rejoicing. We'll, we'll let them do that over here. No, we're supposed to join our hearts together. Or when we mourn with those who mourn, which the challenge can also be like, we put up so many buffers and defense mechanisms to not feel hurt and suffering and discomfort that we don't want to come near hurt, but the call is for us to, to come near, not to avoid hurt. So Jesus is neither surprised nor afraid of the hurt that is in this world. After all, Jesus wept. Do we remember that story? I think that's the second thing for an embodied one of us savior. He comes to us in our homes, in these places of intimacy and immediacy and maybe just normality, but he also comes to us in our bodies and in our grief in a maddeningly specific way. Um, I had a quote last week from Dallas Willard, and some of you all know Dallas Willard, and he was always good for these amazingly thought through quips. Like anytime you got a quip, it was like just the tip of an iceberg of a lot of philosophical thought and prayer and, and virtue underneath it. And um, one time he was in public and uh, they asked him what, what virtue or what characteristic does, does, uh, does Jesus like model? Like what is the main virtue that Jesus models or shows up with? What is Jesus's personality to us? And, and he thought for a second, and it might have seemed like he was stumped. And Dallas Willard said, Jesus is relaxed. <laughs> Jesus is relaxed. And we see under, under the surface of that, um, Jesus is relaxed because Jesus uh, is not in a forcible control, but because Jesus is able to uh, not encounter any circumstance with uh, a sort of anxiety that muddies the waters or makes him reactive. Um, he's responsive without being reactive. But it, it's maddening that sometimes Jesus is relaxed to us. I think of the object of Jesus's tears in that story in John's Gospel, the death of a family friend, Lazarus. We remember that, John 11? It's like the middle point of John's Gospel. Jesus stands at Lazarus's graveside, and before taking any action, he, he's already late to the party, but before taking any action, he stands at the graveside and he sits in the grief, in the enormity of the loss. Before Jesus heals or works or even asks questions, he becomes one of the mourners. And then he calls Lazarus out. This is not like properly, technically, a resurrection because Lazarus dies again. This is one of those annoying cases for like theological training. We're not allowed to call that a resurrection, ma'am, you know. <laughs> but we can call it a resuscitation or at least some sort of healing, right? A, a display of God's power in making something sad come untrue. This is the, the final sign in the fourth gospel. John doesn't have miracles. John has signs, right? It undeniably points to Jesus' forecoming death on the cross, three days in the tomb, a graveside full of weeping Marys, and then an empty grave 
Grave clothes folded and set aside, weeping ceased, he's not here. Upon being told about the woman in, in our Mark story, Jesus says he, he gets rid of her fever, and then he says he takes her by the hand and raises her up. Our eyes can't really see that, but in the original language, there is some like really slight resurrection talk there when he's talking about raising people up. This is subtle, and this is a beautiful connection, and it's a preview, it's a small glimpse of what is happening to her and what will happen to Jesus. She's raised, and she'll also eventually die again, but Jesus, crucified and buried, will be raised on the third day and never die again, and he will raise us up with him. We will join as latter fruits of the new creation. Every act of healing, every act of healing, from like the minor, seemingly nat, quote-unquote natural things that slip under our radar of like giving thanks for how crazy it is that these bodies heal up, things like the mending of a paper cut or the subsiding of a migraine or the way like just taking a nap actually solves some of our problems, to the like more substantial things like when a, when a bruise goes from deep purple to kind of ugly yellow, and then fades almost completely. Or to like dramatic things like remissioning of cancer or return sight. All of those things, from paper cuts to no more tumor, are previews and participations in Jesus' own resurrection. It's wild stuff. This is good news. If this, if this hurting world is headed anywhere, the intent, the possibility, the very direction of this wounded and scarred creation is headed is, is to this new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, even, even those of us who are in pain, those who of us are sick, those of us who don't know when the end is going to come of the suffering that we're encountering, there's still new creation right on the horizon, right here. So if Jesus comes to us in places of intimacy and immediacy, if he comes to us in our bodies and in our grief, Jesus also comes to us in our work and in our rest. In our work and in our rest in these rhythms. When he comes to Simon's mother-in-law, he leaves her, and she shifts straight into service. Again, fill in mother-in-law joke, right? The word related to this is our word for deaconing. She becomes a servant. She becomes in the, involved in the menial work of washing feet and waiting tables, of coming near the suffering and bringing Jesus' healing presence near to it as well. So many of Jesus' quote-unquote patients in the Gospels, they immediately upon experiencing healing, like move into this like rustic ministry of word and table. <laughs> and they're, they're proclaiming God's healing, what God's healing spirit has done and serving others as they walk in newness of life. Uh, uh, like These are churchy terms for what is happening. In, in Mark's gospel, there, there's this big messianic secret going around, and he says, actually, just like chill out on that. I'm not ready for you to, I'm not ready to launch. We're not ready to go live here. <laughs> the gospels 
also occasionally throw in these little curveballs that we might not expect. Curveballs of Jesus's frequent retreat from this sort of healing ministry. That might strike us with some of our like super Jesus fantasies as odd. Why wouldn't Jesus in the short amount of time he had on earth just be out there going, 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 healing, 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 doing, doing, doing. But again, an, an embodied gospel means that there is also good news happening in rest. Even when it doesn't seem like anything is happening, something is happening and nothing is wasted. So after this first episode and the accompanying healings and exorcisms that Jesus performs, again, physical healing and spiritual healing are never that far apart and they're often really interactive, are seen flips to the next morning. And Jesus is in a secluded place praying. When Simon and others finally track him down, they say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Like, let's get back on the clock, dude, right? And it seems that, that Jesus' healing is in great demand. But we, we also see, uh, again, the, the gospel writers tell the story from different angles and with different emphases. And in Luke's gospel, it tells of Jesus' time in the wilderness. Do we remember that? After Jesus' baptism, he is tested and contrary to the ways uh, Jesus' conflict with the powers is aggressive and dramatic in Mark's gospel, the wilderness temptation is pretty subtle. Jesus is tempted to do good things, like feed yourself and others, take control over this out-of-control world, call on God's angels to make your life safe. Each of these temptations and all the twists, uh, all of them are twists on the basic instincts and hopes for the world are like slight amendments to Jesus' messianic vocation. And Jesus reorients to a full-throated, wide-eyed, open-hearted intimacy and reliance on God the Father. So instead of going on a healing spree, Jesus is found praying alone. He's not being stingy. He, he, he might just be exhausted. Have we thought of that? He's not being stingy with his healing power. He, he's constantly reconnecting to his and our only source for power in healing. It makes me wonder, like, if Jesus drifts away from this intimacy, if, if Jesus somehow conjures some sort of power without intimacy, if, if that actually might bring about more suffering or have the potential for more suffering. Power without intimacy can often create suffering instead of alleviating it. So Jesus is this embodied savior, deeply entwined in these rhythms of rest and work. Lastly, Jesus in our bodies, Jesus, one of us, one of us, right? Jesus changes the whole geography of blessing. Whether it's Simon's mother-in-law or, you know, Kind of every stanza of Heal Us has one of these healing encounters. The woman with the issue of blood, the story of the man with the skin disease who seeks Jesus for healing. They encounter Jesus as outsiders, as those on the fringe, on the, on the margins, those ones who are unclean and unfit for worship, but they approach Jesus in a posture of worship. This, this is like a conflicting notion. Like, you can't worship like that. 
Meanwhile, they are already worshiping. These folks model for us how those who have been ostracized or often, uh, often set to the side are ones who do and can possess faith and hope. Faith that things might be different, hope that God might be near, a, a deep desire for community. Scottish theologian John Swinton, he was just in Durham a few weeks ago at Reality Ministries. He reminds the, the primary suffering that accompanying, for instance, people with leprosy was not its biological symptoms, but uh, as important as those things were, but the pollution and exclusion from holiness. Within a culture that was totally God-centered, such exclusion was equally painful as, if not more painful, as the clinical manifestations of the illness. If you were a leper, and this is what it's come to mean in our like non-leprous culture, right? A leper is someone who's like thrown out, can't be part of the inn. But Jesus touches these lepers, these ones with disease. And by doing that, Jesus actually joins them as outcasts. If you get that close to it, you're one of them. <laughs> And by doing that, Jesus miraculously brings someone with leprosy into God's presence and the possibility of God's future. Swinton goes on to say, by, by sharing in the social exclusion of those whom society has marginalized, Jesus shifts the margins, changes the geography of blessing. Those previously marginalized people now form the very heart of God's coming kingdom. The very heart of God's coming kingdom. So we, we always have to remind ourselves that healing, it's, it's holistic. It's, it's religious and spiritual. It's social. Every wound, every illness, every disability is as unique as the body carrying it. And each whole person needs to be received as a gift. This is something that Jesus was just so incredibly good at. You read these gospel stories and uh, the uh, scholars like kind of categorize them as like a healing story, an exorcism story, uh, something to do with blood and these things. But they, they, they might be put into these buckets, but each encounter is something completely new and completely different and full of its own possibilities and with such great attention. If, if every whole person must be received as a gift, I wonder if that's a little bit of what's going on with the fact that not everyone is always obviously healed by Christ. Stay, stay, stay with me on this. Like, easy for you to say, guy, right? But in some ways, those who have encountered Christ but continue to wear scars, suffer thorns like the Apostle Paul, these folks... In, in some ways, all of us, in, in some ways, bear witness to a special way that Jesus walks in this world. People are hurting, people are suffering, people with scars bear witness to a way that Jesus walks in this world because Jesus, the word made, f made flesh, Jesus, the word who was disabled by the cross even unto death, is out and on the loose and alive. Our sick, sad, suffering, disabled friends, neighbors, 
Siblings in Christ are often symbols. They're sacraments. They're ministers of Jesus' healing to us in this paradoxical kingdom. If we have eyes to see it, imaginations to receive it. Jesus comes to us then, again and again. And a friend with, like, frustratingly undiagnosable chronic pain. Jesus comes to us in a neighbor with a walker on wheels. Jesus is right there sitting in that dialysis chair. Jesus comes to us in folks who are maybe not even aware of some of the pain and trauma and suffering that they are carrying with them. I, I want to close just like with this challenge, and it comes from a woman named Amy Kinney who um, uh, uses a wheelchair and, and wrote this um, really good book. And, and, and each chapter is filled with uh, challenges. And, and, um, and she says, ask yourself, can you behold the truest revelation of who God is on the cross? Uh, the best theologians are always theologians that remind us that when God shows up, there's a cross involved, right? It says, can you encounter your disabled neighbors with the same reverence and awe? Next time you approach a disabled person, can you search their face for the disabled Christ? Hmm. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for these healing stories and the ways that they frustrate us um, that there's not more of them around us. But we also give you thanks for uh, the ways that unhealed sicknesses and seemingly uh, undealt with pain um, bears witness to your life, to your goodness, to your new creation and the ways that this old creation, including our own bodies, grown for renewal, for redemption. Lord, open us up to uh, your healing work. Open us up to the healing that community can do. Open us up to uh, folks who we um, have a hard time seeing your face in. And Lord, open us up um, uh, as a community that experiences your hope and healing and offers your hospitality, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.